What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sound of My Own Voice podcast. Uh, this is your host, Ian Barrage, as always. However, unlike always, I do, in fact, have some esteemed guests with me this night uh, to talk about our topic of discussion. Uh, but before I let you know that, I'd like to introduce them. Uh, we have here on the call with us tonight uh, two, like I said, esteemed individuals. We have Mr. James LaPierre, the Grand Maestro Sultan of Shred. How are you doing, James? Good, man. Thanks for that introduction. That makes me feel warm. Excellent. I'm glad it does. I like to hype up my guests as much as possible. Otherwise, they don't come back. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, and also, we have the illimitable Jay Lovern, Grand Maestro Ivory Tickler. How are you Ivory doing, Jay? Tickler. Um, man, feeling good. Feeling great. AT Alien represent. James is, James is here with me, so it's going to be a good, good show. Yeah, dude. Hell yeah. That's what we like to hear. I'm going to switch over to Audacity to make sure all of this is recording. It is. <laughs> Excellent. If you like what you've heard so far and all you've heard so far is intros, why not think about hitting the subscribe button on your podcast uh, platform of choice? Uh, we are currently on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, maybe. They don't return my emails. Spotify, <laughs> Stitcher, and, of course, TuneIn, everyone's favorite podcast service they've never heard of. If you hit a subscribe, it does us a world of good. Also, leave a comment literally anywhere. All of the algorithms are based on comments now. Just talk about anything. Email me. Do whatever you want. Just have some engagement. Helps out the show. And I know you all want to help out the show. Also, for our social media, haven't done a fucking thing with them, but today <laughs> I will be because we have such a hype fucking show for everyone. So please go follow us on Twitter at T-S-O-M-O-V podcast because the Sound of My Own Voice podcast is too many fucking characters for Twitter. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook slash the Sound of My Own Voice podcast. With that out of the way, uh, we're going to uh, talk about something uh, that I think is near and dear to all of us, which is just music in general. I think that uh, it's not so far out of the realm to say that we are all very, very big fans of musical enterprises, both uh, from a receiving and engaging music uh, to a creating and putting music out into the world, uh, though you two have done far more of that than I have, most admittedly. Um, I'm sure my one thing I uploaded to MySpace music is still kicking around it somewhere <laughs> uh, that Jay helped me write at 4 a.m. for a, a college project that was due in my English class, of all things. Um, but, uh, we're all, we're all fans of music here and, uh, something that we all grew up with, uh, was, uh, the scene as it were. Uh, and of course I'm referring yeah. to the, yeah, man, the post hardcore scene, uh, you know, those, those 2005 to 2010 halcyon years, uh, where you could go watch all of your favorite bands that blew up or imploded. Uh, for $5 a ticket and see 19 fucking bands uh, at the Masquerade, right? Uh, those great, great shows. Uh, where you... It wasn't ever $5 a ticket. 
You know, you're actually right. I don't. What What do you think the cheapest we ever paid for a ticket was? Like twelve bucks, maybe. Oh, yeah. I got some for shows in Purgatory for like eight. Yeah. Yeah, right. I guess Pur- Purgatory's probably. Yeah, I bet the Sleeping with Sirens. Um, Whatever, uh, no, that, that, that was a 15er. No, no, no. <laughs> Remember when Sleeping with Sirens played with uh, Love Hate Hero in uh, Purgatory? And Of Machines and Four Letter Lie. That was pretty stacked, bro. Holy For shit, Purgatory. you're right. That was Of Machines show. Holy yeah, shit. That was, yeah. a, that, was a, that was a 15er. <laughs> That you're right. It probably, which is like really high for purgatory. That was that was like they were like we can eat tonight. We're getting paid extra. Yeah, it's crazy. I only went to purgatory once, and it was to see the human abstract and periphery. And that is mind boggling. That is wild. Yeah. Purgatory was just the bar with a couple two by fours set up as quote unquote the (laughs) stage. Not to get too far off subject, but. Relative to someone back in the scene, Sonny Moore, known as Felix, I saw him at a venue called The Quad in Atlanta. Oh, yeah. About a 300-count room, which is – I'll never get to do that again, so I think that's, that's pretty awesome. That's Didn't they shut down The Quad? Doesn't that not exist anymore? <laughs> yeah, it's gone. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't that well, – <laughs> like, Music venues in Atlanta are so funny, which isn't the topic of today's conversation, but since we're that talking about it. should be one, though. We should do that because I – We I, absolutely I have, should. I, I love Atlanta and their venues. Like, yeah. the fact that the Drunken Unicorn has something it open, unless it's closed. Please don't tell me it's closed. No, it's, it's, it's still open. I played there, like, pretty recently. Like, within like, the last year. Yeah, like, that's nuts. Like, that place is across the street from something called Murder Kroger, which I no, know is not, actually demolished. there anymore. Yeah. No, it's still Murder Kroger, dog. Let's be real. <laughs> Let's be real. It's still Murder Kroger. But there's a venue of... I live by that Kroger now. Oh, nice. On the Beltline. Oh, are you off of Ponds? Fancy. I know, yeah. Um, oh, no, right. I'm off Frog. Okay. That's what's up. But yeah, like, the fact that a venue can exist across a, the street from a place called Murder Kroger is pretty nuts. And, like, it's dry. <laughs> you know? We you would know. Murder Kroger for the masquerade. <laughs> well, you would... You, we would never do that. We don't know what the statute of limitations is for parking okay, illegally okay, at Murder right. Kroger. Let's, let's move. Let's move into our into our subject. Yes. Uh, look at Jay trying to keep the uh, podcast on track. I appreciate that. He's like, I got places to be, motherfuckers. Um, <laughs> so, uh, as we were saying, the scene is very important to us, as uh, evidenced by our long tangent there. Um, but one of the bands that sort of uh i think was uh foundational to the scene um and and maybe that's giving them uh a little too much credit i'll let you guys decide as well but i think in terms of aesthetic in terms of sound in terms of uh overall fan base uh this band uh was a pillar of the early scene and really helped pioneer and move forward um specifically a very uh um uh specific post-hardcore sound that I think a lot of bands tried to emulate after they dropped their first album. Uh, I'm, of course, talking about the band Chiodos, uh, who is actually uh, just four days ago the 15th anniversary of All's Well That Ends Well, which is their first album, uh, launched. Happy Um, birthday! So, if that doesn't make you feel old, I don't know what will. Uh, (laughs) Because I was not expecting that album to be 15 years old. Yeah, so, true. I guess technically, I was probably listening to it 
after they did the deluxe re-release, not when it actually originally came out. Right. Um, but Jay, as uh, the person who I have decided is the biggest Chiodos fan on the call, regardless <laughs> of whether or not that's true, uh, let's true. have you start off, because I do think 100% you started listening to them first. Because I absolutely wasn't listening to Chiodos really probably until late, late high school. Uh, and I remember you having that album in like ninth or 10th grade. So let's talk about how you found Chiodos, kind of what that album means to you and kind of your thoughts on All's Well. Um, All's Well that ends well. Um, honestly, I can compare this to, I heard an interview with Gerard Way, the lead singer of My Chemical Romance. Um, and they asked him what his favorite album was. Um, and he, of course, typically answered, oh, they're so, they're so special in different ways. But if you want to ask, like, what album defines what My Chemical Romance means, that was Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. And I feel like that album for Chiodos would be All's Well That Ends Well. Like, when you think of, it's like taking back Sundays to all your friends. That's that's just that heart of that band, you know? Um, I got into them via, like, skateboarding, you know? Being in that group, people listen to that kind of music. Yeah. Under Oath, it evolves. Um, but was, what was sick about this band, for me, was they had a piano player. And uh, that was like, I mean, they had a lot of good bands. You had Escape the Fate. You had all those, that wide, like Aiden on the punk side. Like, right. You know, Breathe Carolina, they, they had a lot more electronics, but they weren't like a... An, like that emo band, you know, with the high vocalists and like the breakdowns and like you could actually dance to it. Right. Um, but the piano just blew my mind. Um, so that that I, that album came out 2005. Yep, it sure did. Woo. Look at I you. Did. <laughs> I did a quick fat check. Um, <laughs> so I was 14 when that album came out. So eighth or, eighth or ninth grade. So it just hit me at like, the perfect time, you know, listening to My Chemical Romance and uh, wearing white belts, <laughs> skinny Hell jeans. Yeah, dude. Skinny Ask jeans before you could buy them at the store. Asking your mom for an Aiden album and her declining, even though she said she would get it for you. <laughs> uh, dude, yeah, there's a lot of, like, I had to print out the lyrics to certain albums and I would skip the ones with the bad words. <laughs> so speaking of that you know what i used to do speaking of recording in audacity how i discovered audacity was literally um streetlight manifesto i fucking love them and there's like a decent amount of profanity in their songs and i knew and like i was listening to a song one day and my dad was like this band's awesome you got their cd and so I ripped all of Streetlight Manifesto's songs and then edited out the swear words in Audacity, exported them, and burned a CD for my dad to listen to. Proud of you, kid. Dude, that is that that um, must have taken some effort. <laughs> Dude, it was literally like, and this was again like this would have been what like 2005, probably around the same time because yeah. Everything Goes Numb came out in like 2003, so it yeah. was literally like. You know, I'm working on a fucking Pentium One trying to, like, <laughs> get, download LimeWire tracks of every Streetlight song. So, are we, uh, is there, like, a dedicated section to this show about their live performance? Or are we going to talk about that throughout? 
I think we can talk about that throughout. I think, um, you know, really, really just kind of started uh, to give the listeners some history. This kind of started because um, there was a, uh, I see oftentimes people taking the first two Chiodos albums and comparing them as two sides of the same coin. And some people really loving All's Well and saying it's the best album they ever made. And some people really loving Bone Palace and saying it's the best album they've ever made. And Illuminatio and Devil kind of get completely ignored. And so I originally <laughs> told James, like, hey, we should just listen, like, let's just listen to the first two and talk about both of those. Mm-hmm. And he was like, hey, I listened to Illuminatio. That's, that shit fucks. I was like, okay, well, just listen to Devil as well. We'll just talk about all of them. <laughs> well, so, it's... like, I think they're, sorry, James, but, like, I think they're, uh, like, they're, they're, you know, their stage presence and everything is something we should definitely touch on. For sure. I mean, that's a, that's a huge component to a band. Because I, like, I remember at a specific moment where I was at Warped Tour, like, 08 or something, and I was getting into Chiodos more and more. Um, yeah. And this kid behind me, dude, like, I just saw him literally, like, singing his heart out. Like, I know he believed everything he was saying, and I was like, dude, this guy fucking loves his band. Oh, yeah. And it's like, I started thinking, like, what bands do I feel, that, like, that strong about? And, like, I still think about, like, that's something that stuck with me, and I was 15, 16 years old, because, like, that's what a band needs to bring out in their fans, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, was that the same uh, warp Tour that, uh, during the intro to uh, the words Best Friend, some dude oh got God. his page ripped out, and they had no. to that was like three, That was, like, three years later. Okay. <laughs> I, we saw this band. We saw them so many times. Dude. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, that was nuts. I remember. I remember that warp tour, and then it may have been the same one where, maybe shortly thereafter, uh, uh, Alexis on Fire fucking played while like a storm was rolling in, and they were like about to shut down the whole thing, but they were like still playing, and like the sky was getting dark oh. and everything. Wait, was that one protest played that year? And Jay, was that when you were hanging out with Brody in the yeah. back? Yeah, yeah. Norma, Norma Jean. Oh, yeah, it may have been Norma Jean, not yeah. uh, not Alexis on Fire. But no, actually, this is another good point about this album. This is probably why this is my favorite album. Um, I got to talk to the keyboard player. I don't know his name, um, but I, I I play piano, and I was learning some of their stuff um like their interludes on that on both that album the the words best friend become redefined learn the guitars learn the piano um but i learned Lindsay. i mean yeah Lindsay foot lollyack in the acoustic version because i always liked that version better mm-hmm. um but then i learned the actual version um and i was talking to him about it and like how he wrote it i was like yo man like i learned how to play it like by myself he's like oh like oh that's good you know like that's that's not easy stuff and i'm like i didn't know what to ask him at the time but like i did get to talk to the guy that wrote that at a time where i was learning it that's awesome man with the combination of all these things like with this band within two years so like i think that that influences a lot of my answers towards this but that's me as a fan of them a pretty hard hardcore fan at that time for sure oh yeah yeah for sure, man. Uh, James, what do you what do you think about uh, All's Well? Okay, so I am not nearly as big a fan of Chiodos. Like I, like in my formative years, I guess like 
late middle school, early high school, well, through high school, pretty much, um, I was, like, purely into, like, heavy stuff, like, metal, which, like, you know, saying heavy stuff now, to me, like, that includes post-hardcore stuff, especially, like, because at the time, I was, like, really into Paul Troy, which, like, definitely falls into that category, but um, something about, like, emo style, like, screamy vocals, like, just didn't really do it for me for some bands, but did for others. So I never really got into them as much, but I remember, I don't remember who it was, but I remember being home one day and I had a friend over and they were like, dude, you got to check out this song. And it was the world's best friend, Become Refined. And I was like, oh, Chiodos, like I've heard like a bunch of people talk about them, like, you know, eh, whatever. Um, but the intro to that song, and especially the video that accompanies it, like because they've got that like huge backdrop of like the amid, like the giant crowd in the arena, or whatever, and like the light show that's going in with like in sync with the intro to the song, like was so powerful that to me, like that song is like, like you were talking about Chiodos being a quintessential band for the post hardcore scene, like that song specifically for me, like yeah. partially defines that for me um yeah so like that changed the way i looked at that type of music because i was right. like here's this band i've been hating on because like i didn't really know anything about them because i was like being sort of elitist and a snob about like certain types of music um and they blew me the fuck away so maybe i need to like reassess like why i'm not listening to certain things but even still um i like I kind of do this with a lot of songs from a lot of bands I don't necessarily have a lot of association with. Um, if I hear an amazing song by them, I kind of want to preserve that beauty and that like perfection that I heard the first time. And so like, I feel like if I like sit down and listen to other songs and they're not as good, it'll sort of like ruin that moment for me a little bit, even though like that's not necessarily true. It did make me avoid sitting down and listening to the whole album. So I did that this past week though. Um, on your recommendation <laughs> and uh, <laughs> sort of like instruction as a, uh, you know, prior to this podcast. So um, having listened to it straight through on its own, it's great. It's a great album. And like, I have a lot of issues with it now, but like, like sort of like assessing it in context for the time, it's an incredible album. Like it, like no one, was really doing it like they were at the time and like the piano added a lot the piano adds so much yeah. like yeah to your point like, a lot of people like devil wears prada did it scary kids scaring kids kind of did it yeah um in that vein you know that yeah but even like, still like not in the same way like they were like like they really like had moments that like that highlighted the piano work you know what i mean like his the, work, yeah his voice do, yeah exactly yeah um, like in that song it's just piano in his voice, like after the initial intro part, like the secondary intro, I guess. And beautiful. I've been yeah, hiding in the for weeks or months, so it's rock from screaming, and I haven't said a word. This guy yeah. is calling. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so great, like that that fucking like crazy um, voice effect that he's got there, and then he like breaks out into like the. Do it, yeah it's gorgeous right. and like there are a few other songs that like really stuck out to me on the album I, I, you know i'm gonna be honest and say like not a few like a couple did no penguins uh, in alaska 
that's one and um the creek i was on the second maybe you would last visit about this creek yeah, yeah. all all near reads beware great in like great song yeah um, yeah um, like champagne jam no hardcore dancing living room i all different elements right but yeah like i think i sort of missed the boat because like i wouldn't allow myself to hop on uh, at the time um so okay. like continue but i have something to comment because we're going into bone palace and this is exactly it, it, it great transition go ahead james oh for sure no i mean i'm just saying like so like since i missed the boat on that like it's hard for me to like if i'd have given it an honest listen back then i would have been like all about it but also too like i feel like could have like really influenced the way that i experience my life now like as far as like my associations with music at different parts yeah. of my life like it would have influenced like different things i listened to different parts of my life and like I, you know ultimately i'm satisfied with where i am now but like at the same time i kind of wish like you know maybe like i would have given them a, more of a chance because i would have been the fuck about it yeah and i think it's it's really interesting that you you know that both of you guys brought up in in regards to like kind of them doing it first so i've been clicking through uh wikipedia's list of post hardcore bands uh -huh. uh while you guys have been talking so this dropped in between they're only chasing safety and define the great line by under oath so right. under oath was uh, obviously a little bit a little bit earlier in the scene um, yeah, but then you have another band that I never really got into. So Undereath is like a cornerstone for that entire genre. Yeah, sure. like absolutely. It's you know when you think about early like really early two thousands, you think people know early, who Undereath is, and before yep. that it's like Papa Roach. <laughs> like you think about like Underoath, Thursday, Glassjaw, Taking yeah. Back, Sunday. Uh, Brand new is always weird to me because they always get associated with the post-hardcore scene, but I don't think a single one of their songs is post-hardcore. No, but like same thing with Dashboard Confessional. Yeah, for sure. But like, A Day to Remember had just launched, and their name was Treason that same year. Scary right. Kids came out with The City Sleeps in Flames the same year. Fall of Troy released Doppelganger within like a month of All's Well. And, and like, like that yeah. all these things hit at the same, like around the same time. Yeah, and like so, but then like they came to market before uh, Count Your Blessings. They came to market before Escape the Fate did. They came to market before uh, like virtually like every other band that sounds like them that like emulates part of their sound. Not saying that Bring Me the Horizon does necessarily, but like they were there before the only, Alisana. The only contender they had really was uh Seosin. right yeah like a skylit drive was was afterwards like any like really you know to sort of pigeonhole them a little bit any like very high singing nasally lead front man mm. like and even Seosin, according to wikipedia didn't drop their first album till 2006 like, yeah, that's, no that's not true because anthony green was their singer way before then and they right. had music seven years oh yeah they had eps they had they had two eps prior to 2006 yeah they had a whole other band <laughs> yeah so like it's like you know i they really put this entire thing on the map and i think that the songs you know that that you outlined james like they have a on spotify there's like a a chiodos the essentials collection yeah um i didn't which, actually look at that doesn't have any songs off of Devil, but it was also released in the same year as Devil, so I don't know if it came out before 
But either way, like I don't think that they would include songs off of that if it was in the same year. Yeah, like the the and the four songs for old fans, you know what I mean? Right. And the four songs they picked from All's Well are are All Nereids Beware, Baby You Wouldn't Last a Minute on the Creek, The Words Best Friend Become Redefined, and There's No Penguins in Alaska. Which right. I think are really like honestly, like those are the songs that make this album, right? Yeah. Like and if I remember correctly, those were the ones that stood out to me as someone listening front to back for the first time. Yeah, I mean, those are, I mean, like, I would say stuff like Expired and Goreville has, like, a good, like, hook in it. No Hardcore Dancing in the Living Room also has, like, a really, really good hook, even though it's a, it's a little long. It's one of their longest songs at 510. Mm -hmm. um, and then, obviously, like, Lindsay quit lollygagging. What? The Words Best Friend is actually kind of long, too, though, isn't it? Like 336. Baby oh. Went Less a Minute is longer. It's 440. Okay, maybe that's what I'm thinking of, because, like, that's not, yeah. like, standard single length, you know, but, like, that's definitely a single. Yeah, the first single was All Nereids Beware, which is which is really interesting. The last single, according to this, was The Words Best Friend, like, which is nuts to me, because I don't think you could fucking, you couldn't go to Henry County and throw a party with people over the age of 25 and play that song and not have everyone hum the fucking guitar part. Well, yeah. put on it's something that's something that I want to get into, like moving into Bone Palace Ballet. Like James said, you know, I think I kind of missed the boat. And it's like you just said from our age to 25, it's because the Chiodos wave hit everyone at different times. Yeah. And yeah. it hit my school during Bone Palace Ballet, where you would find people that you never, ever, ever talked to knowing things about this band that you've listened to for three years. And it's yeah. like, it's like I remember talking to kids that are like, uh, the Chiodos waves at your school, and I'm like, yeah, it's it's fire right now, like it's blow, it's burning everything down. Right. And it's like I remember like this girl, she didn't even know the words, and it drove me nuts, and I was <laughs> like, oh my god. That's um, funny you mentioned that though, because like a lot of people at Stockbridge, um, they like people that I would never expect to listen to that kind of music, like heavy music whatsoever were like coming up to me telling me to listen to this band or like yeah i like this band like it's Chiodos, like it's it's the song i like i'm like what and then like knowing who they were after the fact like how does this person even care like i would i mean obviously like you know you don't know everything about a person like they can like what they want but i would have never expected a lot of people who told me they liked it to like it so that actually kind of turned me, it kind of shied me away against Bone Palace Palais, but there there are songs that I do really like. There was one on there, uh, the Wizards, with the Wizard song. Um, I didn't, I didn't say, say it was powerful, I said I was a wizard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a that good song is great. So apparently every single one of these titles has a, uh, so one thing that I want to talk about at some point is, uh, like, so how... <laughs> yeah, I guess it. I guess it would make sense to. So every for for those of you who uh, don't know who Chiodos is or haven't ever listened to anything, if you'll notice, we when we keep talking about different song titles, we'll say the song the full song title a couple of times, but then we always truncate it at some point. Mm. It's because most Chiodos song titles are whole fucking sentences, <laughs> so like. It just makes more sense to 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 say like the words best friend instead of or just best friend instead of the words best friend become redefined. Right. Um but 
so the Wikipedia page, I was just scrolling through this. I knew that some of these had, um, uh, I knew that some of these had like deeper Background. meaning before yeah. the behind them. Um, but uh, like, so for instance, from uh, from the first album, it says the song "There's No Penguins in Alaska" is made up of a number of Shakespeare's sonnets. No shit. Uh, I didn't know this. The end of the song, Baby, You Wouldn't Last a Minute on a Creek, is actually the first track prelude in reverse. Really? Yeah. Um, actually, so none of these are titles. This is all just trivia. So on the second album, though, they have title origins. And they're like, Bone Palace Ballet is a book of poems by Charles Bukowski. Uh, is it progression if a cannibal uses a fork? Is a misquote oh, of Stanislaw Leck. Is it progress if a cannibal uses a knife and fork? I have. I've read some Bukowski. Yeah. Did you read that? <laughs> no, but it's the progression of the cannibal. Like, oh, I feel okay. like it's something he's done something with. And then uh, the title, Teeth the Size of Piano Keys, is taken from Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut. Um, right. So all of these are like, like, they've got Kurt Vonnegut on here. they got Bukowski. Uh, they have an episode of the trailer, Park Boys. Uh, my personal favorite... The title, if I didn't say I was powerful, I said I was a wizard, was said by Chiodos' guitar technician while he was high. <laughs> nice. Moving, moving, Chiodos, moving. I mean, it's a that is a great song name, in my opinion. Um, I mean, it's it's got that like lengthy, sentence-worthy uh, attitude about it, <laughs> and it's yeah. fun. And. And I think a lot of these, so I'll say that for, from, from my perspective, uh, you know, I think I like Bone Palace more than All's Well. Um, I will say, dude, the production value is a bit better. I think the, I think production goes up with every album, honestly, hundred percent. which, which makes sense. Maybe I, I might disagree from Illuminario to Devil. I would say they're even if. Devil's yeah, they're work. yeah, they're probably a little they're 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 close. There's probably some tracks on Devil that aren't quite as produced as Illuminatio, but that may have honestly been like stylistic choice at that point. Yeah, for sure. Um, um I will have to say that uh Intensity Intensities is probably one of my top three favorite Chiodo songs. That's a well, great song. So yeah, that's like that makes me keep this album in my present day. <laughs> well, like for me, so not having gotten into them until later, like I knew like the main couple tracks off of All's Well That Ends Well, and so I just like like anytime I would listen to that afterwards, it would be more like oh, these are the songs that come before the three songs that I know. And these are the songs that come after the three songs that I know. Whereas Bone Palace Ballet like was always like all brand new shit. I didn't know any of these fucking songs when yeah. I first listened to the album. Um, maybe I think I'd probably heard Jay play Intensity in Ten Cities before. But like other than that, I didn't know what any of these songs were. Right. And Let's I'll say this. Lexington's a great song. Lexington's pretty good. 
Um, so my favorite song, and which is funny because I think my favorite songs are probably uh, most of the shorter songs. Uh, even though I think they do a really good job composing longer pieces, there's something that's just so punchy about uh, like two birds stoned at once, bulls make money, bears make money, pigs get slaughtered. Yeah. Oh, like the drop in bulls make money, like the bass part in that is fucking incredible. <laughs> yeah. That, and that up for me. like, and also I think so every single one of their other albums, all start with some like 53 second bullshit intro and two birds stoned at once like kicks you in the mouth as soon as the album starts right which i really really appreciate and also the undertaker's thirst for revenge is unquenchable is the best song to end an album with like top five probably for me just the way it fades off into uh, the last lyrics, um, uh, I've given up on the entire human race, like, is amazing. And, mm-hmm. like, how it comes from, like, this, like, absolutely, like, fucking shredding song to just, like, this outro of just piano over Craig's vocals, I think is really, really well done. Hell yeah. Um, but, like, I don't know. I think there's just something about bone palace ballet a lot of the songs are just so punchy like they're so like i will say it has kind of like a dark panic the disco vibe ish yeah yes and when i told you guys what like three or four months ago i think i texted both of you independently and was like i just realized chios is just fucking post-hardcore panic at the disco dude yeah for real like and <laughs> it's funny you say that because like panic at the disco is another one of those bands that i didn't get into till way way later like two years ago was the first time i sat down and listened to their first album yeah and, and i it, like yeah. i don't know that i still listen to their first album all the way through but i've listened to vices and virtues probably 150 times is that the second one or the third the one? third one okay cool the third one yeah the third one's really good and like I listen to all of them all the time. <laughs> right. And, and I'd say probably Vices and Virtues is closer to Bone Palace Ballet than it is All's Well That Ends Well. Yeah, that's fair. In terms of, like, song construction, if you just wanted to, like, compare the two. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just something about – and even though, like, I like Lindsay Quit Lollygagging better than Intensity Intensities, honestly. Oh, like, I mean, no, but nah, you know, see – it's the piano intro in, in intensity because yeah, like the song, really it, good. It kind of drags. Like a, after the two minute mark, you're like, okay, like this is a sad ass song, and I want it to be over. Yeah. But right. the, it's just I still play that piano intro at weddings whenever I like whenever I play piano for people, and mm-hmm. like I can play that thing for 15 minutes, and everybody just is like, oh my gosh, it's lovely. Like, right. yeah, Kyoto song. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Like. Man. How often, small side tangent, how often did we start biology by playing the words best friend on piano? How, why did we have pianos lying around our school? <laughs> Great question. Don't know why in the biology lab of all places we had a fucking piano to play. But the amount of times we fucking just started a class playing piano. And then Jonathan Stott would uh, play Rihanna. Or he was yeah. learning the Caribbean, and I was like, "Good luck, homie. That is a law. That is that is a 
undertaking. <laughs> oh man, that's that's something I think. Uh, another small side tangent. I think that a lot of like current post hardcore is missing. Is like, and maybe it's just because wait, wait, wait. current post hardcore like what? <laughs> uh like um fucking uh did i send you um if i die first no so. so it's prob- no probably the newest uh i think that's the name of the band post hardcore that i've heard yeah if i die first so it's uh travis richter from from first to oh. last yeah, yeah. and it's like the <laughs> huh and the the last human abstract album Yes, uh, and it's like two SoundCloud rappers and like emo rappers, and then like um, a couple of their buddies who like play bass and drum. Yeah, and like it straight up sounds like old Skylit Drive, old Scary Kids, but it's missing the piano. That's right. right. And <laughs> there were so many good piano tracks. When I think back of like. Like Icy Stars, Alisana, Scary Kids, obviously, Free Carolina. Free Carolina. Free. Yeah. Uh, I play mean, play video, play Owl City. So, like, as you progressed through that list, you progressed further away from post hardcore and into yeah, like. Dude, they, they all came out at the same time and they were all oh, using yeah. the same sounds. For sure. And Absolutely. Listen, and honestly, in my opinion, if you listen to modern day hip hop, it's not that different. Instead of screaming, it's just hooks. And it's like, Bro. maybe, yeah, I think they were ahead of their time. But You're like, s- that's so funny that you say that because I played, uh, I played, so the SoundCloud rapper that is in this, I, if I die last, his name is, uh, fuck, Lil something, Lil Lotus. Mm. And I, he dropped another EP. And um, at the same time, under his sound, under his emo rap, and it has a song called uh, "I think it's I Don't Even Like You," and I played it for Emily, and I was like, "Hey, like, you, you know, like, what do you think about this song?" And she's like, "That that's just a pop punk song. That's not a rap song." <laughs> and he talks about that in an interview where he's like, "I don't consider myself emo rap. Like, that's what everyone calls me, and I knew that that's what everyone was gonna call me." That's why I put Lil in my name. Like, I just wanted to be called Lotus. There's already a band called Lotus. He's like, I just that wanted to be made... kicked ass, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> Lotus is awesome. Wait, and, like, like the 70s? No, they're, no. they saw him in Okeechobee a few years ago. Oh, well, there's a Lotus from the 70s that kicked ass, too. Oh, I know there's two. Interesting. Um, but yeah, he's like, he's like, I just wanted to make, like, old music that I appreciated but just put 808 beats over it. And oh, I was yeah. like... That's awesome. I was like, oh my god. Is the only difference between, like, new SoundCloud rap and pop punk that it's 808 beats instead of guitar? I mean... So to your, like, to your point, Jay, like, I think a lot of these bands, like, it's the natural progression of music is, like, you know, the emo scene bled into the hardcore scene and created post-hardcore and post-hardcore has now created like a new wave of like hip-hop people. Well, also think about dubstep into trap. Yeah, absolutely. 
and Atlanta is like you can. I mean, even, I've heard a data remember say like, "Thank you, Atlanta, because you guys helped us get successful." And Atlanta's just a like a ba- a heavy base, and like that's why like metal and post hardcore took off here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and there's so many like. Do you remember, uh, was it at Warp Tour, Watsky's, like, there were three places that, uh, on my very first tour after I dropped my first mixtape, there were three places across the 59 venues I called in America that let me play. And it was in San Francisco, my hometown, in New York, where my fucking uh, uh, talent manager knew the guy who ran it. And the drunken unicorn in Atlanta. Atlanta. <laughs> the only fucking place that returned his email and let him play a show. Nice. And it's like, maybe it's because there's 107 venues for streets in Atlanta and they just wanted to fill some fucking time up. But like, that's the beauty. It's like, there's so many fucking venues that everyone can get a, like a slice of the pie, so to speak. Yeah. Although I will say, like, from experience, like, it can be a little hard. Well, not not as much these days because obviously, but um yeah like re- right prior to the pandemic um like we well last year let's say like for our album release um we were trying to book a show at the five two nine for that and like it it had to be like two or three months out like we they had a couple days open but it was on like a Tuesday or something stupid and. Right. Uh, we had to put the bill together ourselves, which wasn't a problem because we were going to do that anyway. But, um, like, everywhere was booked. Like, and, like, the one place that we thought we could do it that would have, like, enough openings, like, they were booked up solid for the next two or three months, except on days that, you know, no one would come out, essentially. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. But, I mean, it's crazy, man. Like, the the music scene is, like, awesome here, but there's so much of it <laughs> it's cool though man because like you get like a lot of you get a lot of gems as a result yeah absolutely so to swing back to where we were uh uh back you know to our the chiodos realm our chiodos realm yes um Let's move on to uh, the thing that happened so often in post hardcore the album where they lost their lead singer. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't. So it's funny because I think post hardcore is something that we all followed, obviously. And I think it's a time where we kind of knew like bands, right? But like maybe yeah. it's just because we didn't know any underground 90s alternative bands because we were fucking you know, two when these bands were coming out. Sure. But, like, you think about, like, fucking Weezer or Foo Fighters or even, like, metal bands, right? You think of, like, Metallica or Iron Maiden or Judas Priest or, like, any of this shit. Like, they've had the same lineup, like, their whole fucking career. Well, it's actually not Judas Priest, but, yes. Well, or or Metallica. Or Maiden, actually. Yeah, but, like, from a singer perspective, they have. I'm pretty sure all of them. Well, well, no, that's not true for Maiden, um, but it is true for, or wait, it is true for Maiden, but it's not true for Judas Priest. Judas Priest actually had a different singer. Or wait, fuck, it's one of them, man, but I swear, like, one of them at some point had um, a singer change, but it was, like, sort of recent, like, in the last 20 years. So, like, not relevant to, like, the first chunk of their career where they, like, made their, most of their fans. Right, but it's, like, in in the post-hardcore scene, it was, like, every other day a new band was getting a different singer right Right. and like 
and not many of them survived that. Yeah, and like other band, like other singers from other bands would like, like following Craig Mabbitt's career or like following right. Kelly Smith's career, like they like hopped between so many different bands that are easily recognizable before they landed where they landed. Right. And it's really interesting because I'm reading this and I actually didn't know this. They also lost their drummer uh, in Cheetos, in Illuminatio. Dude, I was uh, about to – well, I wasn't about to say it. Earlier when I was talking to you and you said save it for the podcast, the drums on Illuminatio, like, are a step above the first two albums. Like, not necessarily better, just, like, more what I listen for, like, what I enjoy. But right. like, the fills they were hitting and the way it was produced also, like, really made it hit a lot harder. But, like – Yeah. Dude, the intro to Caves – yeah, it's, dude. Bro, yeah. it's so fucking good. Like, yeah. and, oh, I forgot to mention from the last album, uh, what they put on the Essentials list. So there was actually, so there's four tracks from All's Well, five tracks from Bone Palace, and three from Illuminatio. The one they picked, the ones they picked from uh, Bone Palace were Undertaker, Intensity in Ten Cities, uh, Bulls Make Money, Lexington, and then I think the wizard wizard yeah yeah makes sense um but what about illuminatios track illuminatios was uh caves um i think modern wolf hair and love is a cat from hell it was like the first three real songs on the album gotcha actually no it wasn't modern wolf hair it was notes and constellations yeah which is a good song but not one that I would put on what I would consider to be like Chiodos, right? And I think I think Illuminatio is a different band. I agree. I think I think it's Chiodos adjacent, but I think that that this whole album is is like a different band made this album. And this is the first album I listened to Same. because I was a Craig Owens hater, and Same. I remember. Jay or Andrew, someone told me like, "Hey, you know he left for this album," and I was like, "Fuck yeah, spin that track, DJ. Let me listen to it." Dude, that was the and, whole reason I listened to it. <laughs> and like, I remember hearing the intro to Caves and being like, "Cheetos can play music," and then like <laughs> hearing like "Love Is a Cat from Hell," and then Scaremonger, and then History Repeats Itself, and then fucking. Those who slay together stay together. Like, right. Best song. Like, best song on the album. Oh, easily, dude. Easily. The piano, I learned, fucking spent hours and hours and hours learning how to play just the first, like, 10 phrases of that song. Like, I also think that Brandon, the uh, uh, new vocalist, Screams are better than Craig's, honestly. Hundred percent. Like well, I, hundred percent for the first compared to the first two albums. But uh, Craig, well, I, it's hard to say because I just looked on the wiki page and I saw that Thomas did some of the vocals on Devil. Yeah. Um. So I I don't actually know which screams were Craig's, but if some of them were, then his screams were a lot better than the first two albums. Yeah, and I think it also maybe had to do with production. Like the screams just sounded fuller yeah, in this. For sure. But like. Again, I think it's a I think it's a, it's almost like a different band. It's it's almost unfair to even put it in the same 
like light up, right? Like Yeah, I agree. Because it 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 just it hits notes of it like I think his story repeats itself. Love is a cat from hell. Like those are Chiodo songs, a hundred percent. Right? Sure. Like those sound like they could have been B sides or tracks on the new album. But some of this stuff, like Let Us Burn One, does not sound like a fucking Chiodo song. Sure, but you know what? I fucking love that song, dude. Because it has the most absurd fucking awesome guitar track like i think it's in the second verse or something like right before they go into the hook it's just yes like, i know what you're talking about i love it um and i like i i play that song over and over like when when i listen to the album ah. jay what do you I, what do you think i think this album uh i think what is it brandon bloomer or something Palmer, yeah um i think this guy had a story to tell and had this album kind of mapped out in his head. Yeah. Um, and I think he executed it absolutely fucking flawless. Um, oh yeah. I love this album, but it's not what, it's not what made Chiodos who Chiodos is, you know? For sure. Yeah. Um, what the fuck is that guy doing now, by the way? I haven't heard I follow him on Facebook, and he does, like, art and photography, but, like, I I did look into him because I really liked his voice. Yeah. Yeah, like, his, his Wikipedia page is pretty sparse. Also, he had a crippling addiction to drugs and couldn't even, like, make it through some shows without forgetting half of the lyrics. Oh, very post-hardcore of him. Yes, which is part of the reason why he left the band. Jeez, man. I didn't realize um, But, like, I mean, it says here he started as, uh, he has a moniker called Masquerade, funnily enough. <laughs> and it looks like he put out, like, songs until 2015 and then just fell off the face of the planet. Oh. I don't yeah. think they were post-hardcore songs, though. I think they were more, like, ambient electronic stuff. Yeah, they, I think they were as well. Also, um, too, like... Oh, never mind. I'm not going to He was also in a band called Yesterday's Rising, okay. which was apparently on uh, Fearless, and it said, the band was one of the youngest to travel on Warped Tour and garnered, garnered musical similarities to Rage Against the Machine and Deftones. Uh, that's interesting. And those which seems seems like a wild <laughs> leap. Like I couldn't imagine them being like Zach De La Rocha, come sing a Chiodos album. <laughs> right, but also those are two very different bands. Like, what the fuck does that even mean to be compared to both of them? Yeah, those? I I mean I guess grungy alt metal. <laughs> I guess. Like. You would have been popular in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Um, so, I'd like to take a brief detour before we talk about Devil, and I don't mean to kind of uh, smooth over Illuminatio, but I, I think we're all in agreement that it's basically not a Chiodos album, but it's also a fucking phenomenal album. Yes. Uh, and I don't know if you've actually listened to this, James. I know Jay did, uh, so we'll just touch on it briefly. The real third Chiodos album is the Drugs album. Oh, bro, I have, I have. And in fact, I listened to it during my re-listening or listening and re-listening to all Chiodo stuff. Um, because I remember when Craig left the band, 
and then Illuminato came out, whatever. And then I was like, well, the whole reason I listened to Illuminati was because I, I didn't love Craig's vocals. And, like, for the record, like, I'm a huge fan of The Sound of Animals Fighting, and Craig Owens was part of that part of it, too. And, like, yep. while I, like, I like now I wildly appreciate his his part in the first album. Um, I, I didn't love it at the time. Like, I couldn't get behind his vocals, and I was like, oh, this is weird. No, it's not for me. But, like, I definitely appreciate it for what it is now. But right like so i knew who he was and like there was some level of respect i had for him so when he came out with drugs uh destroy rebuild until god shows uh i was i was curious and i will say that his vocals on that album to me are they just do it for me they're way more impressive to me than anything he's done with shiotos i i'm inclined to agree, I think some of Bone Palace has a little bit of similar sim, sim, similarity. Similarity. <laughs> there we go. There you go. Uh, but like everything else about that like album, I think is better vocally than the first two Chios yeah. albums. It's fucking funny though, because like you know, back in the day, I didn't really give a shit. But like re-listening to it this past week, the the lyrics for it are hilarious, man. They're so like fucking sad boy status you know oh yeah they're all over the place and like they're very much i saw someone uh uh tweet this and they said you know it's funny uh post-hardcore lyrics from the mid to late 2000s are just that decade's version of incels yelling about girls and i was like oh christ you're right (laughs) i was like shit yeah that that's kind of where I'm coming from with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, like the fucking like, uh, what is it? The only thing you talk about where he's like, uh, I just knew you were gonna go up and fuck yeah. someone else, you whore, and it's like, that line doesn't even fit in that fucking section of music. Yeah, but he has like, to like speed I'll... up his cadence to even make that line make sense. Yeah, but. Okay, so, like, first of all, like, that line itself is, like, a, a nice little aside. Like, it's its own thing, like, separate from the music. Like, he's talking there. Right. But then, like, w- at the end of that line, when he screams for, like, as goofy as fuck as those lyrics may be, the way he screams that and hits that, like, back into the music is one of the craziest, most amazing things I've ever heard. I mean, it's good musically, but it's like the same thing like when uh, fucking, funnily, I talked about this on a couple podcasts ago. It's like fucking uh, Capture the Crown. Uh, you you call this a knife, I call that a knife. Where they like, the whole breakdown is just you filthy fucking cunt. Jesus. And it's like, and it's like they're from Australia, so like that's a, a much more Accepted I prefer term there, but I prefer the classier way that Jar- Gerard Way did it in um, "Save Yourself, I'll Fight Them Off" on their um, Killjoys album. Whenever I it's like, the uh, he actually wrote the song about his daughter uh, in the future, like when she's older. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, um, and it's like we could steal this car if your folks don't mind. We could live forever if you've got the time, you motherfucker. Oh, uh, uh. and it's like fit, um, but it's great with the music, you know. But it's subtle. Yeah. But like, if you learn what the song's about, you're like, wait, like, 
it's I don't know. It's right. tastely done. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And like, uh, funnily enough, Capture the Crown has taken down. So they've they've relabeled themselves. They're just called Capture now. Um, Dude. and uh, they've taken down that video and are like trying to get it removed from YouTube. Because they're like, they're like, we can't have this song out in 2020. Like, right. our whole band is gonna get deleted. Like, if we keep this song out. But when did that song come out? Because like, I mean, I, I mean, I understand that, but like, look, dude, people on Twitter yell about Robert Downey Jr. in fucking Tropic Thunder every day, every day. That's true. You're right. Yeah. So it's like. You know what? If my band had put out a... To be fair, that is like a much heavier topic, in my opinion. I mean... Capture the Crown's whole first album is like heavily misogynistic. Oh, okay. Well, see, I don't I don't know them like that, so if that's the case, then sure. Yeah, like, almost all of their songs are like... Shit-talking their <laughs> ex-girlfriends or like girls that broke their heart. Like, and that's the other thing, too, is like a lot of these songs aren't about like oh, this girl broke my heart. It's like, oh, this girl doesn't pay attention to me, so I fucking hate her. It's like, uh, uh, uh that's not, uh, probably yeah. not healthy. That's extremely unhealthy. <laughs> we probably shouldn't be singing that to a bunch of lonely 14-year-old boys, but okay. Sure. Uh, but no, I think, uh, what What did you, did you like um, the drugs album, Jay? I think that Regardless, you guys were talking about the vocal quality. Yeah. And I don't know. Ian touched on how Craig Owens is influential in the scene. Yeah. I see. I think that's validated by Drugs being somewhat of a post-hardcore super group. Um, because Matt, Matt Good, the yeah, guitar Matt player. Good our bass player from first to last was in that band and did vocals. Nice. However, also, um, there's somebody else. Who else? It was like a super group. Uh, Adam Russell, the bass player. Or no, Aaron Stern. Uh, Aaron Stern is from... Fuck, what is his name? Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you, but... But anyways. Um, yeah, keep going. I'll like, look it up. I love Matt Gooden from first to last. I love Craig Owens in Chiodos, and... I love them, but I didn't love drugs. Um, That's fair. And like, I think, I think a lot of it was like Craig Owens was like, he was like, he wasn't Ollie Sykes. He was a Sonny Moore. Like he was one of those icons. But like James mentioned, the sound of animals fighting. Yeah. What else did he do? Isles and glaciers. Yeah. Isles and glaciers. He did cinematic sunrise. He did a grindcore band called. this dude was everywhere. Fuck boys you know? or something. And it's like, I really like Cinematic Sunrise. You know, I wish he would have done more of that. Um, sure. But I just, I don't know. I think he was trying to find his direction and found a lot of really good niches, but then he just kind of got lost. And this is kind of where I fell off of Chiodos, was especially after Illuminatio. Yeah. I was like, oh, wait, so Craig's doing this. You know what? I'm not really into this. He's yeah. dealing with some shit anyway. I think the music's suffering. And then he fell off, and the devil came back, and it was like by at that point I was kind of I had oh, moved yeah. on, you know. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Um, I I can definitely see that. Hmm. 
no, I mean, and I and it's interesting too because like, just like I think when uh, you know Ronnie Radke from uh, Escape the Fate fame comes out with Falling in Reverse, and you have Falling in Reverse and Escape the Fate releasing albums almost at the exact same month or whatever. Yeah. You have drugs coming out the same time as Illuminatio within like six months of each other. Right. Like, I think it's hard to not like be like, oh, this is like the real Chiodos. This is the real Escape the Fate, right? Yeah. It's like, I really think if, you know, he hadn't gone back to Chiodos, if he had stayed with drugs, if like all of those people had, had managed to, to get it together. Uh, Brand, uh, uh, Aaron Stern, by the way, is the drummer for Matchbook Romance. Nice. Yeah, right. And he's the drummer for Drugs. So, like, I think if, like, that band had managed to stay together, like, we would be talk like, people would talk about them, how, like, there's a, a definite split in how, like, Escape the Fate sounds post-Ronnie and how, like, Chiodos would have sounded post-Craig. Like, Imagine that Chiodos had made another album with Brandon instead of Craig, right? And Drugs had made three more albums. Like, you know, in the same way that Escape the Fate now sounds like Motley Crue. Didn't Sayos do that, though? They had Anthony Green, then they had Cove, and then they did another album with Anthony. Yeah, and I mean, um, fucking Dance Gavin Dance did the same thing, too, right? They had uh, Johnny, and then Johnny left to do Imarosa, and then... Then they had Kurt for two albums. Johnny comes back for an album. Then they leave. A, then Johnny leaves again to go do issue, not issues, uh, slaves. Slaves, yeah. And and then fucking you know Tillian's done ten albums with Dance Gavin Dance, right? <laughs> you know. Yeah, but okay. So like, Dance Gavin Dance is one of those bands I missed the boat on until recently. And like my first album I listened to was um, uh, Instant Gratification. Yeah, I believe so. The one right before Mothership. Yeah, instant gratification. Yeah, and that was with Tillian, so like that's how I know them. And then like I, I went back and listened to Downtown Thousand Mountain with Johnny and uh, whatever you say is Royal Ocean or whatever or whatever I say. Um, that's Kurt, right? No, that's that was the first EP I think with Johnny. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. And, like that didn't resonate with me, but like Downtown Thousand Mountain, like I get it. Like I get why people were on this boat. Like I get why he was. Like he he's another one of those iconic figures for me. At least his voice, like it's unfortunate that he like he's involved in so much controversy because like he can't get his head out of his ass or like you know whatever the fuck he's got going on. I mean, we literally watched him brag about stealing someone's MacBook at a show. Yeah. I met him, I met him again, and he got in my car, and he was a mess. Mm. Yeah. So, like, wh- what he came back for? What like Downtown Battle Mountain Two? Like, is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I actually haven't, like, sat down and given that a good listen. Like, I've heard some tracks, and I mean, it's, like, kind of more the same, but. I get Johnny for uh, Dance Gavin Dance, and I kind of get the music. Yeah. Man, until Tillian took over, and really, honestly, even in Instant Gratification, um, I mean, Mothership is really the first time where I think uh, what's his what's his face actually can scream worth half a shit john is that his name yeah really yeah yeah dude before tillian took over his screams are atrocious downtown battle mountain 
his vocals are garbage. He clearly doesn't know how to scream on that album. I mean, they're not great, but like he can, I, he can sing so well though, <laughs> which is that's hilarious to me. But um, like I I to I mean personally, like between instant gratification and mothership, like I don't see much difference. And honestly, like downtown Bowden Mountain, like it's not great, but it's like you know I, I didn't feel like it was that much worse. Yeah, just... I I mean I like maybe two months ago like just like listened backwards through their discography like right before Afterburner came out. Yeah, yeah. And I got to some of like, and especially the shit with Kurt is like real weird. Like I've actually never listened to any of that. The one album, uh, I think Kurt actually has two albums, but there's one album with Kurt uh, that was the one right before Johnny came back. Yes. Weird, man. Uh, fucking Will Swan is doing some experimental shit, and it's nuts. Yeah, I've, but uh, it is weird. Huh. Interesting. Um. But uh, let's talk about go to <laughs> yeah the last album. I'm really good at segues. It's something that uh I mention every podcast is how good my segues are. Yeah, I, um, I know you for that. Yeah, it's uh, just like the guy in that one movie. How everyone knows his references. Everyone knows my segues. Yeah, bro. It's actually a meta joke about forgetting the reference on purpose because the guy was about references. But the album, the last album that Chiodos did, Devil, yeah, um, has uh, one more shakeup. Uh, we yeah. obviously see Craig Owens returning, but we also see Thomas Eric of Fall of Troy fame, who funnily, we saw what was supposed to be the final Fall of Troy show ever mm. in hell uh, the yeah. same week that we saw the last Scary Kids, Scary Kids show ever. Yeah in hell wait who are they playing with scary kids yeah um, no girlfriend till i make, till a, I make million. a million no girlfriend <laughs> I don't, yes. it, was, it was their drummer that was rapping yeah like they're like it in it wasn't even scary kids as drummer it was Somebody it was like yeah it was like f filling in and was there i don't know who else was on that ticket to be honest because that wasn't that wasn't the Maylene and protest show. No, mm -hmm. that was in hell. Uh, yeah, all of these were in hell. Oh, okay. I don't remember who else was on Scary Kids' ticket. I think it was just them, and we were like, let's just go because it's the last time. It's yeah. the last thing, yeah. Which, I mean, honestly, very glad I did, because, I mean, Tyson died, what, two years after that, maybe? Jeez. If that. Uh yeah, he overdosed some heroin. Jeez. Um but yeah, fucking Thomas Eric of Fall of Troy fame, lead guitarist. Yes. Uh and also like singer songwriter um who, for Fall of Troy as well. Who for the um, is a massive influence on me as a guitar player and I like look up to him quite a lot as far as music is concerned. Yeah. What's funny is I watched an interview today uh in preparation for this. For when he joined Chiodos, I've actually needed to go back and look at some of those videos. And uh, he says he goes, he's like, it's weird. Like this is the first band I've joined. You know, he's like, 
<laughs> like, I have a band, but, like, it's my band, you know? Right, this is the right. first time, like, I feel like everyone has, like, you know, this equal creative input. And he's like, I'm super stoked to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah, and that is interesting because, like, I've only ever known him as the front man for the Fall of Troy up until that point. Um, yeah. And kind of the side projects, like, just like vinyl. Um, right. But that was also his project. And, like, he's got something going on now, like, Thomas Eric and the, the Shoreline, I believe. Um, but, yeah, like. Well, he, he's also uh, Royal Coda's guitarist. Uh, I think that might be the same thing as the Giotto stint. Like, that's not. Oh, really? That's not current. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, uh Sergio Medina of CMVAR and um Stolas? Stolas, yeah. He Holy shit, I, I nice. He's doing stuff for them now. And Will Swan actually joined Royal Coda. Yeah, he did. So yeah. it's basically just 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 like Secret Band, it's just Dance Gavin Dance as a different band. Yeah, and like there's a joke about like Swancore now cuz like what? Yeah, he's in every single band. Yeah, I know. Yeah, or like, you know, like there are some members of some bands in every band. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Thomas Eric, man, like, I was like, because I remember seeing those videos, like, leading up to that, and, like, I remember the interview you're talking about where he's talking about that, and, like, thinking, like, holy shit, that's, like, so cool, like, he's this, like, big, well-known dude who's, like, badass at guitar and screaming mean things at, like, those hardcore kids. Uh, <laughs> like, how's this gonna go? And right. for whatever reason, I just never listened to the album. Like I did, I didn't even know when it dropped. Like I, I just totally missed it until you told me about it the other day, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that exists." Like what the fuck? Yeah, I only listened to this because it dropped on April first, twenty fourteen, and <laughs> I started at Microsoft on like April twenty fourth, twenty fourteen, and I was driving to work and like the only person i knew at microsoft was brandon royston oh. and he's like dude this new cheetos album fucks like <laughs> yeah. so, we, so we'd like go get lunch together and i'd be like dude like old fish lips is dead now the yeah. breakdown at the end of that song is the heaviest shit cheetos has ever done yeah and it sounds so good like i'll be honest this is definitely my least favorite album that they put out mm. like even including the drugs album but from like the intro to like sunny days and hand grenades and then including beavis bullock like those are all like great songs yeah and then the last half of this album is just not good <laughs> it's just yeah, i will say like listening to it like i couldn't tell you a single song name because, like, none of them grabbed me so much that I looked down to, like, see what it was so I could listen later. Um, there wasn't as much, like, catchiness to me. But, I mean, it was it was very good. But, like, especially after the first half was done, I was like, man, I don't want to listen to the rest of it. Like, every song was getting progressively, like, yeah. interesting. Well, they, they did the horrible thing that I think no album should ever do. You should never start or end with a slow song. And like the last um, five songs on this album are yeah. slow. Yeah, because I, I, I listen to Brendan Urie a lot. He likes to end on somewhat of a somber but hopeful note. Sure. Because like Impossible Year, Dying in L.A., a lot of his albums in recent years always ends with just him on a piano. That's a bold well, move. 
honestly. Like, he can pull it off because he's fucking Brennan Eerie, but, like, not right. everybody can do that, you Yeah. Know? Like, Vices and Virtues ends with uh, the song that they sing in French at the beginning. True. That's the very, that's a like, huge finale, though. Yeah. And it's, like, sick. And, like, that's, like, like, for me personally, and that's even, you know, you you know back from our praise band days, Jay, uh, that every time they're like, we got to end on the slowest song to lead into worship. I'm like, no, that puts people to sleep. Like, end on a song that's higher than fucking 60 BPM. Like, so that's that's just my personal philosophy is like, you should always end your song or end your albums with something that's high energy and start with something that's high energy like and i think the same thing about shows as well like there's uh two brand new songs that they play every single show but they rarely start or end with them and literally they're the two greatest starting and ending songs like in their whole catalog they're both off of the same album and one is luna which ends in a two and a half minute like schizophrenic guitar outro and then the other one is um i know i think or she knows which has this uh oh no you don't know that's what it is and it's a huge build up like it starts off really really soft and then just hugely cascades into this amazing song and it's like i just i anytime i'm listening to an album and I, they, they have like some absolute banger and then like the next song is the last song. Like it's like, it's like 10 songs and then track 11 is like some slow sappy song. I'm like, I'm just gonna turn off the album. I don't need to listen to this. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I feel that. Did you listen to Devil much, Jay, when it came out or had you already kind of jumped off the boat? Jump shit, man. Yeah. I uh what, what year did that come out? What was I listening to at that point? 2014, you had probably already started drifting more towards like a lot more I electronic got, stuff. I graduated college in 2014 or 13. I don't know, one of the two. Um Yeah, ma'am. I was deep into like I was learning about like funk and stuff. Yeah. And like I liked reggae growing up, so that kind of just like jazz, you know. Yeah, yeah. I kind of, I was 23, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, like I said, like, I think a lot of the reason that I have any association with this album is because I was listening to it, like, I mean, getting that job at, at Microsoft was, was a, I mean, a huge fucking turning point in, in just my life in general, you know, because I had just... I had just come off that like small like six month span at Microsoft, and then them telling me I was going to get a job, and then not getting it, and then like being like not knowing what was going to happen for like four months, right? right? Yeah. And like Royston the whole time is calling me. He's like, "Don't worry about it, dude. I got like, don't worry, you're going to be fine." And I'm like, "Dude, you can't say that." He's like, "I'm like 98% certain," uh, you know. And then finally, like all of that coming together, and then feel finally feeling like, man, I can like start over, right? Like. I did all my shit at GameStop, like, and then my whole life imploded in 2012, you know, just, you know, some for the worse, some for the much, much better. Uh, And, like, you know, from, like, 2012 until this point in 2014, like, I had, like, 
very little direction and like very little like any sort of grounding i mean i was still driving a car at this point where if i sat down too quickly i fell into the back seat because the driver's seat wasn't bolted into the fucking floorboards <laughs> <laughs> like me, baby dude like <laughs> bro so, side note one of the things that i want to start doing is start telling more stories on the podcast and that car is just a story oh yeah that dude. car is like a 25 minute podcast story but like you know it was like me getting the the corolla after like you know i got rid of that car and like just it it felt like all these steps were like connecting and i was progressing and i was like gonna start a career and then this album came out and i was like that's right Chiodos. like it was like in my brain something just clicked it's like like this is part of like my formative years like let me see what they're doing like i didn't even know that they still existed yeah and which is funny because like i was still you know I'd say I think out of all three of us, I probably still listen to the most music from this era. Um, and I still listen to, at that point, I was still listening to Icy Stars fucking, you know, Digital Renegade on repeat, right? Like, I still was heavily, like, invested in the bands that were still putting out music. Yeah. But for whatever reason, right, like, Chiodos was in this weird spot where, like Jay was saying, right, they, like, they were poised to be a day to remember big, bring me the horizon big. Yeah. And like losing Craig and losing all that momentum just sent them off a cliff into like relative obscurity to where I guarantee you could ask like 20 people if they even know what the fuck devil is or probably even Illuminatio. And they'd be like, yeah. what? There's something more than the one song that I know. Right. So, yeah. I don't know, I think it's, it's it's weird. It's kind of sad, almost, when I think about it. I hate thinking about bands ending. I honestly hate bands ending. I know sometimes they have to, yeah. but it's like... I think, like, you made a comment the other day about, like, all these fucking old-ass dudes. Like, like what were you talking about, Slayer or something? Like Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, yeah old-ass dudes, what? like, doing the same shit on stage. Like, would you rather them be that, you know? Like, they have to end at some point, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's yeah, that was that was me telling you that all eighties metal is dog shit compared to yeah, anything yeah, yeah. that was released in the last five, ten years or whatever. Right. Honestly. And it's like Oh. Oh no. James is gone, maybe. I haven't had my video up this whole time, so what is he doing? Oh, he's leaving. I don't know, Jay, what are what are some of your while well, while James is uh walking away, what are some of your uh for some of your closing thoughts about about Cheetos, about their impact on the scene, I'll tell you this: there are two people that I've brought a hairdresser how to cut my hair, and their names are Ollie Sykes and Craig Owens. What? <laughs> um, just, just asking Jay for his final thoughts and saying like how like you know talk about anything, talk about their impact on the scene, talk about their albums, their shows. Yeah. Just like, what are some final thoughts? I think Cheetos. Um. Chiodos was one of those bands that I remember not, not even too long ago, like, I just happened to be in the wormhole of YouTube, and uh, I saw that it was like a living room show they played before they were even really a band, you know? 
but it, it looked like exactly every living room I hung out in in high school. And those kids looked like they were at the coolest party ever. And it was like they were. <laughs> and they're and they're and like Geotis is playing their instruments very poorly and very shitty sound quality. But I was like, dude, I would have loved to have been in that room. That's fucking amazing. So you know, like my sister knows some Chiodo songs. Um, probably the same level of like I hate like I clearly I love Panic the Disco. I've mentioned it a few times. I say I'm like, Yeah, you like Panic the Disco? They're like, Ah yeah, I know the one song, you know, um, haven't you people I'm like, Okay, yeah, it came out thirteen years ago and that's the only song you know by Panic the Disco right now, really. High high hopes. High high hopes for you. Um so you know, it's it's all it's just gonna be one of those things that like it'll mean a lot to people, and then some people will be like, yeah, I like that song. Um, they, but that ranges. That means they made a mark. You know, their names in a book. Their names. I think I think they're very successful. I think they they set a trend, and it's like David Bowie, man. My like people that do things first and do it that do it well. Um, they were they were in the right place at the right time. They may not. I mean, yeah. I think. I think. I love Chiodos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, James, final thoughts. Uh, agreed, definitely. Um, especially for a band that I wasn't really into during their heyday. Like, uh, like I heard their name tossed around quite a bit. I heard their name associated with like a lot of bands that I did like. Um, and even now, like looking back and thinking about their music. And like thinking about the impact that it had, especially at the time, uh, yeah, I think they're they're fucking legendary. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's that that sounds like a lot to say, and, and it's crazy to me that like they have as much clout as they do, especially for like, I mean, the the kind of music it was, but but also too like the fact that they only have four albums, and like one of those albums isn't even with the defining voice of the band essentially um and the fact that the of uh, another of those albums isn't even regarded as existing for a lot of people like a lot of people didn't even fucking listen to the devil including yeah. myself who i i cared about it i wanted to hear it because comic <laughs> eric was a thomas eric was a part of it um so yeah i mean i, I think they did a lot for the scene i think they were a part of the reason it existed at all and you know, my hat's off to them. Yeah. I think it's funny when you when you talk about, you know, only having two albums, you know, another another band that we've mentioned a couple of times in in, in this uh podcast is is Scary Kids Scaring Kids and they, yeah. they only had two albums. And yeah, but I did not actually realize that. I yeah. see Scary Kids Scaring Kids being the ugly stepchild of Chiodos. That's what I was saying, right? Like if you were to ask you know, if you were to poll a hundred well, people, but did it better. Yeah, if you were to poll like a hundred people in the scene, you could probably find some people who don't fucking know who Scary Kids Scary Kids are. For like, sure. like they weren't ever huge. They didn't have a lot of draw, like even in like shows, like their crowds weren't that big. But like, fucking. The City Sleeps in Flames is a great album. Mm. Uh, and so is their second one, whose name escapes me at the moment. Fuck, what's their second album name? Uh, 
I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, it's got a mask on the front of it. Speaking of escapes, Escape to Fate only had one album with Ronnie Radke. There's another EP point. And, EP yeah. and album. Oh, it's just called oh, Scary yeah. Kids Scaring Kids. Derp. Um, yeah, but like even I think from Escape the Fate's perspective, they were still like gaining popularity after Ronnie left. That's true. Which if, like, I will give them credit; they did a good job of like continuing that momentum because yeah. I personally did not care for Craig Mavitt's vocals, and I did not care yeah. after the first album. Yeah, once they became Motley Crue 2.0, I couldn't have cared less about sure. their music. Sure. And like, and it's funny because I think obviously a lot of the controversy around Ronnie and a lot of the like, will he, won't he, and like, man, we're still, you know, they they kind of leaned really heavily into like, fuck that dude, and like, yeah, we're gonna be a band without him. Yeah, um, to fuck them pretty heavily also. Yeah, and like, well, that's the thing, right? It's like they, I think they fed off of that a little bit, and that's probably what sure. kept them going for yeah. longer than they maybe would have otherwise. Right. Right, like, I don't think if Ronnie Radke hadn't been as magnanimous a character, you know, if they would have, you know, not faded into obscurity after dying in related fashion, right? Yeah. Um... But I just think it's funny because, like, like you said, right? It's like Cheetos kind of really only has two albums that, like, most people will remember. Yeah. But, and and I agree with your statement. I mean, I think they they put their mark on the fucking scene and they're legendary because of that, right? For sure. Like, you, like, there's no one who <clears throat> doesn't know who Craig Owens is in the scene, right? Absolutely. Like, agreed. And that's what I was saying when you got back in the room was that. There's only ever been two people that I've taken to a hairdresser and said, cut my hair like this. And it was <laughs> Craig Owens and uh, Ollie Sykes. Gotcha, gotcha. And like, you know, even to this day, I can watch the words best friend redefine music video and the way he has his keys on a carabiner, the way he, like yeah. where his shirt hits, the way he wears his belt, all of that informed all of my fashion sense from like 2008 <laughs> until like 2016. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and sure, like, sure. still does to an extent, right? Uh, yeah, I agree. Like, you know, these people like put their mark on, you know, on the scene in general and just on music as a whole. And yeah. even when you think of like other front men, right? Like, People know Jeremy from A Day to Remember because A Day to Remember is so big, but yeah. he is not nearly as much of an icon to the scene as like a Craig Owens, right? Are you talking about the frontman for A Day to Remember? Yeah. I mean, a testament to that is the fact that I didn't even know his name. Right? Like, and I yeah. couldn't remember his last name. I think yeah. it's McKenna. I think it's Jeremy McKenna. Sure. And like, he's great. Don't get me wrong. Like, I love A Day to Remember. Just uh, a couple albums. I haven't listened to them recently, but, you know. That would be another great one of these series if we decide yeah. to do this again. A Day to Remember would be great. Yeah. Uh, Bring Me the Horizon would be great. Mm. Um, I don't like, think I participate. Under Oath, man. Under, Under Oath. Oath would be great. I would be perfect for that because I've never listened to them. <laughs> um, God. I mean, there's just so many, like, Dude, really good. The career of Sonny Moore. Yeah, yeah Sonny Moore cool. would be an incredible thing to follow. Like, 
Um, His parents I think... are Scientologists. <laughs> That's amazing. He's adopted. It's crazy. <laughs> He's got a brother. Uh, who's it? Wait, what? See, save all this for the Sunny Moore podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> and you know what else? Sunny Moore podcast. Emily could special guest Hell as yeah. well, Hell because yeah. Emily was right there in the trenches with Jay, listening to fucking butterflies or whatever on his dog shit MySpace page. That was like <laughs> <laughs> absolutely this weird transcendental like music experiment or whatever before he became Skrillex. Right, dude. James is actually on that page too, so. Really? He knows all. I didn't know you, know you fucked with Sonny Moore like that. He knows Copa Face. He knows Mora. He knows Father Said. Oh yeah. He knows, he knows all the Gaga remixes. Oh dude, like I still listen to the Alejandro remix. Like what's up? Time. And Father Said is like one of the best songs ever. Period. Like it's in my top fifty. I can't tell if you're trolling me and just repeating what he said, or if you really actually did listen to this. No, 100%. Like, deadass, I promise you. <laughs> Holy shit! No way! Okay. What's yeah. up, buddy? No, I mean, like, maybe not to the degree that you're saying that, like, Emily was in on it, but, like, what I just said is factual. <laughs> that, that's interesting. We might have to... Sunny Moore might be something that we could bump up. I, I mean, that would be... Like, I probably didn't listen to it, like, when it was current. I was like... Uh, like it was probably like maybe shortly after Skrillex dropped his EP, and I was like, right. and, like deep diving, yeah. Um, because I was like, oh, from Personal S, that's that guy. <laughs> I I think that that would be such a big. That would be that would be like a fucking two and a half hour long podcast because I'd also want to talk about like from first to last changing, but also kind of not changing at the same time after Sunny Moore left. I, I didn't even, like, listen to them either. There was another one of those bands I didn't really know anything about. Oh. Then, but then recently, like, within the last few years, like, Spencer Sotelo of Periphery did a single. Yeah. And he well, was, he did a whole album. That's, that's another one of the fucking, like, Thomas Eric on Devil things. that I, I heard he was going to be on an album, and w when did the album drop? I just heard the single. 2016, bro? What the fuck? Dead Trees has been out forever, and it kills dude 16 for real i'm almost positive let me look it up dude if you if you say that's for real that's gonna blow my mind because it's I... absolutely been a long time dead trees oh i'm sorry 2015 what yeah dude wow all right Shit. and he redid note to self ride the wings of pestilence and the latest plague ride the wings of pestilence dude his oh. his version of that is pretty gnarly. You realize that Matt Good does most of the screams. Yeah. Probably not for Spencer's remake. <laughs> no, Spencer does a lot of the a lot of the screams on Dead Trees. Matt does yeah. Matt does some of them too, but they had so many like, bass players though, and like drummers, and the drummer went on tour with I Set My Friends on Fire and Breathe Carolina and all that. Like, there's another band I forgot that the. Yeah. One of my buddies really got into oh man that's something else we could do as well as uh bands that faded into obscurity after like exploding like i set my friends on fire like just fell off the map after one album damn that's because nabil quit he went to he went to college the yeah. guy who did all the programming 
But, like, there were so many, like, and this would get into shit that, like, no one listens to. So it wouldn't, I don't know that it would be really interesting, but, like, stuff like Scarlet O'Hara, Settle the Sky, like, shit that's, like, super just fucking out there, but had, like, Rise snapping them up, you know? They played one show, and Rise was like, make us an album. Rise, man. PM Today. PM Today is another PM one. Today would be a great one. Mine was good, and then, boom, nothing. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I think that uh, we're... We're we're nearing a, a a hefty time. This is the longest podcast for sure that we've done so far. Oh shit! Sure. Um, I I want to thank you guys both for for joining me on this uh, deep dive, uh, a somewhat meandering dive, but a deep dive nonetheless into, uh, like I said, a, at the top, a topic that means a lot to all of us, I think, and and something that we can very easily reminisce about. Yeah, dude. Uh, and plus, I had an excuse to talk to. Two of my best friends for an hour and a half, and get them uh, both on the phone and uh, hang out with them, which is uh, in these times of social distancing a a great boon. So uh, thank you guys for uh, for being on the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Do you want any final words before I do uh, the 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 outro? Nah, man. I mean, just thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. Uh, follow fucking. Ian's podcast, The Sound of My Own Voice, and, you know. Final words from your boy, Jay Lovern. Um, I, I love this podcast. I listen to it. I think it's uh, it's kind of comforting to hear Ian's voice. So it's like he's in the room with me, and that I like to listen to it while I wind down. Um, also, my buddy James on this podcast has an awesome band. It's called Challenger Deep. If you guys don't know it, um, I believe their Instagram is Challenger Deep Dude. Uh, out. They are they're awesome. I met a guy in Atlanta the other day, and he was able to hum one of their songs. <laughs> what? Like, I know him. I know James, and he goes, "No, the thing I can say about James is he has such a vision for the way that music wants he the way he wants it to sound, and he's so dedicated to it." And I was like, "You know my buddy James, then." So, <laughs> dude, hell yeah, man! Thank you, Ian. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for uh, pitching that wonderful uh, layup for Challenger Deep, because now it, now as the host, it doesn't sound like I was just shilling for one of my guests, uh, which, <laughs> I, which I fully planned to do after Jake went talking. I was like, I'm going to hit the Challenger Deep, going to hit him with the follows, going to do everything. Uh, but you made it that much more organic, Jay. And that's 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 what we love around guests here at the Sound of Mind. Glad it's in it, homie. There you go. All right. <laughs> Well, thank you guys for being on the podcast. Thank you, dear listener, uh, for listening uh, to an hour and a half of uh, Chiodos talk and other things. Uh, as always, you can find the Sound of My Own Voice podcast on your podcast platform of choice, coming to you every Tuesday morning at 4 a.m. CST, because that's what one website told me was the best time to release my podcast. So I believed it as the gospel. Uh, you can follow me once again at T-S-O-M-O-V podcast on Twitter, the Sound of My Own Voice podcast on Instagram and Facebook. You can also go to the Sound of My Own Voice podcast.com and listen to everything. I love you guys. I love the listeners. I love everyone so much. You guys have a great, great night, and I'll catch you guys tomorrow. <laughs>